Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We're on a mission to transform healthcare where all equally benefit by building a robust, dynamic, diverse community. So glad you could join us. Well, this is an awesome uh, day. It's a Thursday here at Planetary Health First, Mars Next, and we have an amazing special guest, Dr. Ryan Vega. Just want to do a quick, brief intro. Dr. Ryan Vega serves as the Chief Health Officer for Vantic and is the former Chief Innovation Officer for the Veterans Health Administration, where he led enterprise innovation efforts across the largest integrated health system in the United States. His work has expanded large-scale digital modernization efforts, design and deployment of innovation care and payment model redesign, and early design and development of healthcare software focused on improving healthcare delivery and experience for patients and providers. Dr. Vega, also currently sits as the physician in resident for the Digital Medicine Society and holds academic appointments as the adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Health Administration at Georgetown University, as well as the clinical assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University. Just a little rivalry there, I imagine. He is the recipient of many awards for his work in healthcare innovation and has published numerous articles on the topic. Well, Dr. Ryan Vega, it's so good to have you here this afternoon, and thank you for saying yes. Hey, I finally made it. Yeah, you did. And um, so I think, um, is there anything I left off, anything you want to just sort of start as a point of context before we do a deep dive? No, look, I appreciate you having me on. You know, it's it's been for me just kind of going through my career trajectory this almost serendipitous uh odd series of events that have kind of led me from a physician physician in quality improvement then in innovation and now finding myself uh, in a software startup so it's really been quite the journey and uh every step of the way has been something new and challenging but also in some ways i tell people bold and exciting and particularly the environment that we're in today in healthcare, just the immense opportunity that technology brings for reimagining how care and delivery uh, is ex- experienced. And really, I think we're starting to see the, the tip of the iceberg with that. Yeah, well, I think uh, knowing that you were a clinician first, I think every startup doing what you're doing is so lucky to have you because it all starts with the patient, but more so with the provider the physician that understands how to deliver those quality metrics. So super excited how you're going to talk to us today about the need for digital orchestration in a rapidly changing health tech ecosystem. That is a mouthful. And uh, please, if you would, share with us what that what the heck that means. Uh, sort of <laughs> unpack that. And if it takes you five minutes, don't worry, do it in 10 minutes. We'd love to hear more about this. You know, coming from government, I tried to come up with an acronym that nobody understood, but I figured I would just come up with a very long title instead. So 
when we think of orchestration, sort of the image and the imagery that I, I want people to think about is sort of listening to an orchestra. You are experiencing multiple different multiple different instruments. There's different skill sets and varieties. And what's happening is all of those are being blended together. And sort of the sum of the individual parts becomes this great symphony in essence. But some theories orchestrating all those things together. And so the way to think of digital orchestration, particularly as technology continues to proliferate, is this idea that you're taking all of these workflows and these new types of technologies or novel technologies, and you're creating these really complex systems that is helping those orchestrate together. So instead of a single workflow of saying A to B and then B to C happens, and then another parallel workflow, we're sort of bringing all of those together in this complete end-to-end -end stream. So when you think of technology, this may be multiple AI applications working together in collaboration with humans. This may be multiple different types of technologies coming together, where it's a historical electronic medical record, as well as real-time streaming data from a patient wearable. And so at the intersection of all of that has to be some something and somebody who's really helping to push and move the levers. When we think of digital orchestration, we're thinking of that happening where we hide the complexity of what's going on so that humans are really put in this collaboration with machines now. And so it's a really new type of model, particularly from a software standpoint, because what you have to be able to do is not rely upon traditional infrastructure where you're moving data to a database and then doing a subsequent analysis and so forth. You have to be able to sense and analyze in real time. Um, and so when we think of digital orchestration, that's sort of the imagery I want people to think of as this orchestra. And in that orchestra, you could have the Internet of Things, you could have AI, you could have multiple different AIs, multiple different cloud environments, on-prem, on the edge, sort of this beautiful symphony that will occur when you orchestrate all those together. We're going to see this entire new sort of ideation, new innovation, true end-to-end -end workflows, and in, in turn, Patients will have better outcomes. Clinicians will have more job satisfaction and enjoyment because uh, they're able to either spend more time doing the things that, you know, myself went to medical school to do, uh, which was not bill and write notes. But it's that type of infrastructure that we'll need. So think of uh, the, you know, the, the conductor so somewhat uh, when we think of digital orchestration. Wow. I love uh, how you put it so succinctly. And I, I love the backdrop. I feel like the backdrop is the the actual music, the actual symphonic notes and registers into this ecosystem that you're talking about. So um, what is what was stopping this from happening five years ago? Or maybe we shouldn't even go back uh, that far. But, you know, maybe what allows us to to happen today that we can make this happen? And what was preventing us from making this possible? Yeah, that's a really great question. And so we can go in so many different directions, but let's start with this idea of traditional software development. And you can think about how we will go and collect data from multiple different sources could be from a device, could be from a separate database. And what, what we try to do is bring that to some location where we organize the data, try to make sense of it, and then allow it to sort of surface either in context, hopefully converting it to some actionable intelligence. But what's really happening is you've actually separated 
the idea from the sensing of the data from the analysis, they've really become two separate steps. And to build complex real-time systems, systems that are taking in high velocity data, this could mean enormous amounts of events per second from multiple different devices. Generally, we think of video streaming and multiple videos sort of streaming in a building would be high velocity data. And so when we think about that, majority of the applications in healthcare have not been built or aren't really good at handling high velocity data as well as real time sensing and analysis. Um, and you can kind of start to scratch the surface now on challenges with interoperability, um, but that really becomes a whole new paradigm when you think about compatibility and real time sensing and analysis, meaning that you can have multiple devices and fusing the data that's coming off of those together to contextualize that device. Some people have built proprietary algorithms where they're looking at heart rate plus respiratory rate plus steps per minute plus SpO2. They're trying to contextualize the information because, as any provider would know, just giving an individual uh, a log of somebody's heart rate without any clinical context is truly meaningless. Doesn't help the patient, and it certainly doesn't help the provider. I need to sort of know, does the patient have an arrhythmia? Are they running on a treadmill? Um, I need context. And so when we think about these real-time systems, what we're really getting down to is the ability to contextualize data. And so how do we do that? We have to move compute to where the data is not necessarily moving data to the compute and then sort of copying in the data and copying the data and so forth and so forth. So it really is a paradigm shift in the way that we think about building these complex systems. And the reality is that it's really, really hard. If you look at studies from McKinsey or you look at studies from Forbes, conservatively, about 50% of the time, these systems fail. But Forbes will put it all the way at 82% of the time they fail. So I think it's I think that the challenge sort of gets real technical, but just sort of conceptually at a high level, think of it this way. In order to do some of the real time systems, you have to be able to analyze in real time, which means you have to have systems and applications that are able to sense and analyze in real time, which means you can't be, in essence, relying on just moving something to a database and then separating the analysis. It has to occur where that data is being proliferated. Those types of systems are really hard to build. Uh, and one of the things that excited me so much about Vantic was that they solved that problem and made it easy. That is awesome. So is this getting into what we call edge computing? Is that is that the next question? Do, do, do we want to go there or do what? Tell me um, what what. What is this uh, edge? Like, what was that uh, leap that just happened that Vantic has? I mean, I, I know you don't want to uh, necessarily sh to share too much about the, the secret sauce, but just enough for right. the viewers, you know. Well, I think there's a couple of things that are important about Vantic, and that's who's behind the company and the individuals that sort of developed this software. So if you look at our co-founders, Marty Sprinson and Paul Butterworth, their biggest success to, uh, was a company called Forte. And what Forte enabled was mission-critical applications to be built on the World Wide Web. So home banking, uh, New York 911, I mean, they were way ahead of the curve, but their experience in both Silicon Valley as well as software dates back even well before that, companies like Ingress as well. And so these are individuals that have really 
a long-standing history of understanding the, I would say, the objectivity in what you're doing when you're building relational databases and thinking about next-generation applications and systems. So this is really, although they'll say seven years in the making and how long it took them to really get the software to where they felt it was going to really be transformational for developers, it's really 30 plus years in the making. And so what they've been able to do is to build a true, the way I like to look at it, it's a virtual operating system. And so it's not about citizen development. You have to have a little bit of idea of how to develop, but we're really democratizing and taking developers to the next level in really unprecedented time with speed and agility. We really shield, if you're in the software itself, developers become shielded from a lot of the challenges of integrating multiple devices on the edge. They're not as worried about some of the network connectivity or messaging connectivity. And so we shield them from all of that. So what they're focused on is the business logic of what they're building. They should be spending way more time really understanding the problem that the client or the customer or the physician, whoever it may be, is trying to solve. They should be obsessed with thinking about the UI and the UX and the experience and how this information is being put in front of them. But when it takes six to nine months and it takes a long time uh, to get something into production and then you're not even sure it's going to work well into production, developers are often spending more time on the technical side. We've shielded them from that. And so not only do we think that this really makes a difference in the systems, both from the development and then on the maintenance side, but it's going to unlock new innovation because people are able to really spend more time thinking about and obsessing over the experience that they're trying to create and the success of the applications that they're trying to build and less worried about some of the technical challenges. So I like to think of it as what, what, what 10 engineers can do today with traditional products, one can do with Vantage. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that you can share, um, maybe if, uh, you know, some user case uh, that you're excited about that's coming through the pipeline or that you're working on? Absolutely. So our biggest success to date uh, from the company standpoint started over in Japan. Uh, and we, we like to tell this story because I think it gives a sense of the breadth and the capability of the Vantic platform. Uh, SoftBank was opening the Takashibu port city. It's their current headquarters right outside of Tokyo. And one of the challenges that they were facing, and they were working with a major hyperscaler, was putting together this smart building. And when I say smart building, touchless elevators, smart retail, robots delivering food, facial recognition for access demand, elevators that are automated, 24-7 security, thousands of sensors, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cameras, multiple different complex AI applications all running together. And so they were working with a major hyperscaler and after 270 plus engineering months, two separate project teams, two years, tens of millions of dollars, the project still didn't work. Uh, and so Vantic was able to come in and do that project in six months with one and a half engineers. And that's not hyperbole and I'm not being facetious. That is literally how fast and how sophisticated the platform is. Now the caveat, we did have the requirements. Some of the hardware was already there, but our ability to sort of leverage the ingenuity of the platform was fully on display there. And so then from the, there, you know, the company really started to take off and grow. Uh, more recently, we've been very focused on two important markets, defense 
uh, and government as a component of that. So public safety, public security and healthcare. And the reason being is because when we look at these two markets, the need for real time complex systems is there and particularly the ability to give those uh, individual users and developers speed and agility. It means a couple of things. One, it means obviously speed to market, reduction of cost and development time, which brings down the cost of these systems. We can get them to the hands of more people. But the other really unique attribute uh, of the system is that it's truly event driven and it's very loosely coupled. And, and because of that, it's very modular in the sense that we know in six months in a year, there's going to be a better mousetrap. There's going to be a better device. There's going to be a better ABC, you name it. We need to give individuals the ability to rapidly change and rapidly innovate with a rapidly changing world. And so avoiding them from being locked into a particular vendor or being locked into a particular system and requiring on more expensive and more timely engineering to make those changes, we need to give them and put the power back in their hands to make those adaptations uh, and to truly be agile. Um, so that's kind of a little brief history. And then the use cases on healthcare have just been truly exciting to see. Some of them are so futuristic, uh, you know, things that we don't expect to be a reality in a couple of years. Uh, but I think there are things that are going to happen uh, as to some of the more truly important implications where we're simplifying virtual care and virtual text messaging. Um, so I'll kind of start with uh, the, the ones that are more immediate. But one of the unique attributes that the software team and our engineers have put into the platform is we're going to make it super easy to utilize and incorporate large language models with other AI, even multiple large language models, and really give people an, a, a unique advantage of taking a hold of generative AI uh, and bringing that, uh, I would say, front and center to some of their applications. So helping people to create and what we call chunk and embed data into a private LLM or a vector database and connect that to an LLM. But more importantly, the ability to feed real-time information into that LLM. So you can imagine having a AI-assisted chatbot, per se, who's helping an individual manage their diabetes or manage their blood pressure, and now the ability to pull the device data, instantaneously feed it into a private LLM, to layer and call another LLM to sort of surface a response. And then you could even go to a third or even fourth LLM to get a second opinion or a third opinion. So I won't go into too much of, of the nitty gritty. We can explore that later. But that's one of the really unique attributes is that we make it so easy to sort of bring these new novel technologies forward in the platform. Um, and it's really exciting to seize that type of technology get into the hands of patients. We know that text messaging and text-based platforms have worked. There's a lot of good clinical data and studies to show that that form of engagement in patients truly does help them, whether it's reminding them to take their medications, helping them to better sort of ease into or understand getting on a new blood pressure medication and how effective it is over the course of two weeks. Anything from doing follow-ups or colonoscopy preps, sort of text messaging is a way that we interact with the world. And when you can shield the individual from all the complexity that's going on in the background, meaning the, the clinical pathways, the evidence-based sort of implications of if they go A, they need to do B and C, when you can shield them from that and just surface something as simple as a text message, we find that patients generally engage more. The other thing that's nice about text messaging is you're not asking somebody to download another application. You're not asking them to uh, to do something out of the ordinary. It sort of feels very natural. So that's one um, use case we're exploring. 
Another one that gets even more sort of exciting to think about is the idea of utilizing uh, cameras and physiologic monitoring could be a wearable, uh, could be a something as simple as a whoop. But to think about nursing homes and particularly to use cameras, not just for fall detection, but actually to use some of the new AI applications that are out there around gate analysis and fall prevention. So there are some companies that are working on solutions where they have hardware and embedded in the hardware is this advanced computer vision where it can see that the patient is trying to get out of bed or your mom or dad is trying to get out of bed and it can automatically turn the lights on and notify an attendant or a nurse um, that, hey, Mrs. Jones or Mr. Jones is currently trying to get out of bed. It can also analyze activity patterns and movement. You can imagine that now going into the home. There's people that are doing this without camera. They're actually doing it with radar. So, you know, I always joke, I ask my dad, I'm like, hey, look, I know you want to age independently. You want to live at home. Would you be comfortable with me installing a bunch of cameras? And he says, get out of the house. So <laughs> he probably feel a lot better with using some of these newer technologies that are using radar. So it's not a camera, but very sophisticated where they're actually under, able to understand different types of behavior. Like, hey, dad was getting up and going to the bathroom pretty frequently. And you know that because you create sort of a digital twin of the house and then you use the radar to see activity patterns. So it knows that somebody was constantly going in and out of the bathroom. And those types of systems, what's really unique about Vantic and these types of real-time applications is that when you are sensing and analyzing the data, you don't store it in a persistent storage layer. You're contextualizing it in real time and creating a report, and that a report may create an alert, but all of that gets deleted. So people can feel safe and comfortable that in certain use cases or instances, no one's storing their data, no one's storing information about them. It's really just there to help them sort of navigate this, this, these types of challenges, whether it's aging in place or you know, being in a nursing home and caring for patients with dementia. So uh, two use cases that have, I think, real applicability both to our global market and the U.S. market um, and sort of, I believe, truly demonstrate that unique orchestration. Right? When you're talking about the, the need for multiple cameras to be sort of continuously sensing and analyzing in real time, yeah, sure, you could take all that data and put it to the cloud. It's going to get really, really, really expensive. And so what you really want is the ability to do is just to see and analyze contextually those events that matter and to understand what's going on within those events. Perhaps you save a 10 second clip and that's what becomes stored in a sort of a persistent storage layer. Uh, but unless you're able to handle and until you sort of brought this point up about the edge and we can talk about that and where that's going, unless you're able to do a lot of this on the edge in some aspects, um, it becomes really, really challenging or it just becomes cost prohibitive. Well, I, I hear how you're talking and I tell you, I, I think the VA must have been really sorely to lose you um, as as you were the head of innovation and you sound more like a scientist and an engineer. I wonder if when you were a young man coming along, you were an engineer minded, but you seem very technically equipped. So they they seem um, that you were really well-placed at the VA in the head of in innovation. And then Vantic is even more lucky uh, to have you. And also everyone that's listening, this is not scripted. We don't have uh, questions. This is just real uh, dialogue. And we have David from the audience that just popped in. He's come and been a guest before, an attendee. And he has a question. I'm going to put it up here. And David is asking more, um, do you cash 
uh, data at the edge for data yeah, analysis. For data I think analysis. you kind of you kind of asked answer yep. this, but and and what happens if you need to integrate uh, different data sets, points to have more insights? Is this is that done in your application or in your data lake mesh fashion, et cetera? Yep, great question, David. So yes, so we can cache the data on the edge for periods of time. So say you want six hours of memory and what you're trying to do is take a continuous glucose monitor and get a six hour average of that blood glucose. A CGM is gonna give you blood glucose every 15 minutes. It's actually not truly real time. Um, some folks get confused because they'll say this is real time. But what we know is that the the actual blood glucose level and the time that it goes into the interstitial fluid and the CGM reads it, it's about 12 to 15 minutes. So you're getting an every 15 minute read. Um, and so if you want to contextualize that information every six hours, to your point, let's say you want to integrate multiple data points. You want to integrate the CGM and you have a text-based application that is questioning or querying the patient. Hey, notice your blood glucose is high. Now think about what just happened there. Real-time data was fed into an LLM uh, or into a, an AI augmented chatbot that recognized in logic, and this is being done in memory, that the blood glucose was high for that individual. One of the most important things about this application and the systems that we are hoping we see sort of really proliferate is the idea of personalization at scale. If you have an elderly individual, perhaps 180 for their blood glucose is fine. And the reason is because you don't want them to bottom out or become hypoglycemic. So they may have frail diabetes. So the ability to customize the logic across thousands and thousands of individuals, really important. So if you want to integrate now multiple data, so it could be data from the text messaging, it could be questions or contextualized information from the messaging system. Whereas, did you take your medicine this morning? Did you happen to eat something that was high in sugar? That can all be combined. And then further, that can sort of be combined into a report. So contextualizing the data to say, hey, Mrs. Smith or Mr. Smith, was having periodic episodes of hyperglycemia or elevated blood glucose, but as it comes to find out, you know they ate a bunch of cake that day. That's actually really important information because now as a provider, when you're sort of working with that individual and helping them understand, or perhaps it's connecting them to a nutritionist, it's much more contextualized instead of just saying, hey, notice your blood sugar was high. I'm going to ask those questions anyway. And then for the idea of sort of a data lake or mesh fashion, it really begins and is important to understand what solution or what problem we're trying to solve. A lot of our customers do take a lot of the metadata and put it into persistent storage later on. They may ask us to de-identify the data for various reasons. It may be security reasons or it may be privacy reasons, but we sort of live as this intersection and sort of, you could think of it as sort of coexisting in the middle between uh, a cloud or the edge. We're sort of in that sort of symbiosis. So we're not our own enclave. We're going to live within the user or the developer or the owner's enclave. And sometimes that is an on-prem system. Sometimes that's a cloud system. So that's where the, the metadata would come or the data would come. And that's really important, particularly if you're going to be doing or building or refining new machine learning applications or algorithms or uh, AI for that matter. So um, great question. But uh, yeah, I think that the key of what is really unique about the system is that ability to cache data on the edge for the serial analysis over time. You could say that that's six hours, four hours, whatever you're trying to get a range of and then sort of write it over and come back. Well, that was great. Uh, great question, David. Great and even better answer. Um, we're, we're about 15, 20 minutes out from uh, finishing this up. Uh, 
anything that you would like to bring up, Dr. Vega, at this point? This point. Yeah, I, I think the, the fun thing is thinking about what's next. Where's the future going? And a lot of the early use cases we're exploring have to do with sort of futuristic medicine, as I like to say. Uh, so one ideation session that we've been in uh, that really gets me excited is the idea of using drones for organ delivery. So there are new modern drones that can carry very high payloads, uh, payloads up to 50, 100 pounds, and they can travel 100 miles. They actually use this proprietary engineering and 3D printing to sort of print. Uh, and you can also have real-time sensing and analysis of the temperature. It could be inside of a cooler or it could be inside of the actual vehicle it sends. So you can imagine this sort of future in which this whole ecosystem is, is orchestrated in real time to do really, really complex workflows that come together. The identification, and I always look at sort of um, urgent transplants as sort of an unfortunate and a, and a fortunate situation. Obviously, somebody uh, is passing away, uh, but fortunately, they sort of registered as an organ donor and uh, there's a match and there's a potential live that they're going to save. So the idea of that being just a incredibly complex workflow in and of itself, I think doesn't do it justice. But you can imagine all of that activity being orchestrated. And now instead of an ambulance going or a helicopter going, it's a drone delivering uh, the organ in sort of real time. Um, those types of things are going to be possible, uh, but you're going to need real digital orchestration. You're going to need perhaps AI running on the drone. And one of the biggest challenges we see right now is that when you try to run AI on the drone, particularly on the hardware, it drains the battery of the drone. Uh, so our types of systems uh, and complex systems that Vanta can build can solve for some of those problems. The other thing that's going to be really unique, uh, and these are conversations we're having too, is the idea of sports medicine and human performance evolving quite rapidly. This gets into kind of the wellness uh, play that we'll be in, but the ability now to use human performance sensors. So lots of the sports companies, whether it's Under Armour, Nike, or even some of the more sophisticated ones that are coming out, you're actually seeing the sensors be sort of woven into the fabric woven into the shoulder pads, woven into the gloves. So they're able to collect a lot more biological, sort of biometric and physiologic data. But now imagine being able to combine that with streaming analytics from the cameras that are streaming in stadiums across America, America every Sunday at one o'clock during the fall, or uh, I'm an LSU guy, so seven o'clock at night in Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. You can start to imagine all of this immense amount of data coming together and the ability to sort of combine it now and to do that in real time that aids in the ability to diagnose injuries on the sports field or in the field of play uh, but it also helps with human performance so those types of things are going to be possible but you're going to need real complex systems to orchestrate those because just the volume of the data that you're talking about coming together not only do you have to fuse it and contextualize it but it truly requires real-time analysis um, and so i think the idea of being able to do that and to leverage the edge um, instead of sort of moving all of that into the cloud, um, it just becomes both cost prohibitive and time prohibitive. So those are the things that get me really excited. Uh, you can you can see the applicability for us. What's really unique uh, and what really, I think, attracted me to Vantic, the thing that I love the most about uh, the roles that I've been able and been fortunate to have is I got to do so many different uh, applications or innovation projects across the entire spectrum of healthcare. So I wasn't just focused on an ICU or on the emergency department. I was focused on inpatient, outpatient. I was focused on population health. 
acute care, very specific episodes of intervention, technology, value-based, sort of it was run the gamut. And what's really unique about Vantic and this types of applications and software is that we'll enable people to build is that they span from, and you can think of advanced clinical decision support. So real-time data coming from a ventilator and coming from vital sign monitoring on a patient in an ICU, pushing that into a private LLM that was uh, trained on every textbook and article on how to manage a, a patient on a ventilator, and now having an FDA-cleared CDS application that's helping respiratory therapists and even perhaps nurses in the ICU quickly manage a patient who may be decompensating on a ventilator in a rural hospital because the closest uh, intensivist is 100 miles away and they have to get them on the phone every time there's an issue. Those types of applications are going to be possible. Uh, and the ability to work with people on solving those problems while also thinking about the human performance, the wellness, uh, working with uh, defense health and military on readiness. It's really just sort of um, just an amazing and, and I'm really fortunate to kind of be in that position to work with so many amazing people. Uh, but like we we like to think in Vantic, I mean, we, we have so much fun doing our job and it's amazing to watch these developers sort of see how easy it is to build these applications and to see the light bulbs go off in their head because they start thinking, well, what about, what about, what about? And now they're doing what we want them to do, spending more time with the business owner, spending more time with the clinicians or the patients, focusing on the experiences that they're trying to create with these systems and really delivering cutting edge applications uh, that we've already seen make a big difference. Well, I'm just blown wow. away. The, the future is here and uh, so many possibilities. Is there any, the things that I'm hearing are very complicated technology. And I'm just thinking with the stakeholders, there's gonna be a lot of partnership, a lot of private uh, public partnerships to make this happen. Uh, yep. Long-winded projects. Do you see any blockers? It seems like you got the buyers, you got the users, and then the blockers. Um, where where would you think would be the ones who would be the laggards or the the ones who would not maybe want to embrace this greatness? Well, I've been in innovation long enough that I you know I I'm accustomed to the Rogers diffusion of uh, innovation curve. I think the biggest challenge is a lot of times we hear from people, well, we can do that ourselves, um, or they don't believe that the, the Vantic software can do what we say it can do. They're like, that's all sales. Um, and so we we generally see us getting pulled in after failures. You know, we'll tell people like, okay, well, come to us in six months. And then they come knocking on the door and said, all right, you were right. Um, so I think it's sort of the idea that even when we see people get into the application or get into the or software development process, it's really hard to get them out of the mindset of they want to grab all the data and put it to a database and then do the analysis. So it's really trying to get people to think differently, to sort of imagine the what if. I mean, what if you could take multiple sensors from home and fuse those together and analyze those in real time and to turn that analysis into an intelligent orchestrated event and that report is going to an individual who now has situational awareness and as they're watching the event unfold the system is continuously monitoring what's going on it's not sort of like when the alert happens that's it vantic systems and applications built in vantic they are continuously sensing and monitoring so let's imagine and you get an alert on a patient it says hey something may be going on with with mr and mrs smith you are continuously sensing and monitoring. So if another alert may come and say, 
look, it's been, you know, five minutes have gone by. We're noticing things are getting worse. Maybe instead of calling Mrs. Smith, you need to call 911. I'm talking about that type of intelligence, the ability to orchestrate that type of intelligence everywhere. It's just hard to get people to imagine that that's real and that's possible. Um, and so then obviously the bigger challenges will be components around regulatory. A lot of these types of advanced clinical decision systems and support, some of these may require regulatory uh, approval going through that. That is always a laborious and can be expensive process. We hope that our reduction in development of time and development of cost give people more opportunity to build those types of applications. Um, and then privacy and security. These are always going to be really challenging things. I think we've solved for a lot of that, and that's what makes me excited. But again, it's getting, it's really getting people out of sort of the status quo traditional mindset of how they've approached these systems and applications and sort of letting them experience what's really possible today. I, I just, um, I love what you're sharing and uh, I love this enthusiasm, this excitement. And uh, I um, I think it's fascinating that you had another uh, uh, member in the audience sharing the same thing about regulatory and compliance at the same time that you were bringing that up. Yep. Um, so as we are approaching towards our last five, six minutes. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to just highlight that we've been going over this short time? Sure. I think a couple of things. So you can't escape the privacy and the regulatory component. One of the unique things, unique things about the software is we get to inherit some of the security. So we're working with a few clients and customers who their inherent their platforms inherently are HIPAA compliant. Um, and so that's a unique advantage is that we sort of inherit it because we live within that container, so to speak. Uh, and because we're never actually storing the data, we're just giving them a lot of ability on the edge. But I want to speak predominantly about sort of this idea of security, because one of the unique things about Vantic, when you build the applications, each individual application within the Vantic system inherits these, what we call these illities, security, which is really important. And what that means is that when you go to production from development, you automatically deploy and inherit all those illities within the application. They're reliable, they're scalable, they're secure. And so what we do see a lot of the times is that things may be working well in the development environment. And then when it goes live and it shows to scale, you start to break down and lose some of those things. A lot of that was solved for in the Vantic software. And that's really important. Now, you have to remember, the individuals that built this system, our engineers who have been together for decades, as well as our co-founders, were developing mission critical applications on the internet. So 20, 25, 30 years ago, they were thinking about this notion of security being vital. You know, it's funny, they tell the story that uh, in the early days when they were raising money, there were VCs that sort of said, look, this internet thing is gonna be a toy. It'll be like, you know, uh, radio that sort of came and went. Um, and, you know, thankfully uh, for our founders, they, they were wrong, but they were really at the forefront of thinking about applications must be secure, systems must be secure, they must be reliable, and they must do those things at scale. Uh, and so when we think about fintech or we think about login, you know, banking login, um, those things are pretty secure now. Uh, and so I think even with new releases where we saw the data breach with HCA, uh, and now we saw today the FTC investigating open AI around data security. We cannot escape 
that that has to be at the front and center of a lot of what we do. And we think that that is a unique attribute of the Vantic platform is guaranteeing that security. I, I won't go into all of the unique special sauce that makes each individual application um, so secure, um, but it is quite, uh, quite unique. The other thing is that we are a true peer-to-peer -peer architecture. And what I mean by that is that every instance, every domain space is its own tenant. Now, without getting too technical, what that means is that you could have hundreds or thousands of different instances of Vantic running independently and autonomously of one another, but then talking to one another and then talking to sort of an on-prem or a cloud, and they're only connected through authentication keys. So each instance becomes very secure, but they're also running independently and autonomously of one another. So if you think of a traditional system, what happens if the mainframe goes down? everything's out. On a Vantic system or a complex system built with Vantic, the rest can pick up for the other. So um, you can think of why that has en enormous applicability to a, a defense um, a defense unit. So that's really, really unique software. And, and I think you could start to see just the enormous uh, applicability and really changing the way that we've approached these types of systems in healthcare. Wow. Um... I'm looking at the background again, as you talked about the uh, interconnection, the separate instances, and I'm thinking that that captures what you were just sharing succinctly. Um, well, we're coming towards the end. Uh, what would be the best way for people to reach you? I obviously they, they Vantic has been up there. It's, I think it's pretty easy to probably type in that. You can find that. Uh, uh, tell us uh, anything else that people should know how to reach you and, and what, what else. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, feel free to email me or LinkedIn me. My email is rvega at vantic.com. Um, love to hear from people, even if it's just understanding or further exploring the platform, suggesting use cases, or just sort of, I love people challenging the, uh, the idea of what we're able to do. It, it actually helps us get better. Um, and so, feel free to reach out, LinkedIn me. Um, again, love having these conversations. We're doing so much with uh, generative AI and really making it easy for people to use. So we've been doing a lot with uh, our customers and clients and thinking about their strategy and how to use AI, particularly from a healthcare standpoint. How do you reduce hallucinations? How do you take advantage of private LLMs? How do you keep data secure without it going out to the public domain? So all those things we've really thought through. Um, so those, you know, Anyone that uh, that has a spare a spare moment and wants to give some feedback or just have a conversation, always uh, excited to reach out and talk to new people. So, Doctor Vega, are you trying to get another show, the the next one on generative AI and applications for, with Vega? We, we might, we might, uh, we might have to. I, I or, or do we need to go on a few more minutes and hear just one little teaser on that? That just that's that's such a compelling topic. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I will tell you that we, we have this sort of notion of what we call the second consult, uh, but the idea of making it really easy for people to bring together multiple LLMs. So you can imagine um, real-time data coming into the system, uh, and I'll spare all the technical details, but sort of going into a private LLM or a vector database and then into sort of a generative AI application but then what happens if you get an answer that you want to validate or you want to ask a separate LLM, what do you think about this answer? We can do that. And then what happens if you've got two LLMs giving you two different answers? Well, we can get a third opinion. Um, 
So it's that type of really unique architecture and attribute, which I think is going to be really important in the agility. The other thing is that medicine is so rapidly changing. And so it's really expensive to train an L, I mean, to truly train an LLM, right? Once they're trained, there's obviously things like in-context learning, but taking advantage of these vector databases and sort of reloading information, taking advantage of in-context learning, these types of things give you a really unique opportunity. Um, one of the early applications that's coming out for us soon is the ability to do semantic search. So you can think of uh, taking a owner's manual for a refrigerator, embedding that, and then calling over a, a digital assistance. And then if your refrigerator goes out saying, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my refrigerator. How do I repair it? And it's not just pulling that information from, uh, you know, any random source. It's pulling the information from the owner manual for your refrigerator. So now you can think of all types of applications, repairing a CT scanner, um, repairing an MRI, repairing a ventilator, uh, all these things become possible. Uh, and, and you can really sort of what we think of as knowledge workers or people that are um, trying to do things in a rapid fashion, you're really increasing their efficiency and effectiveness. So uh, all of those types of things become possible, but I think it's where you start to get to the real complexity of combining multiple different AI applications, real-time data, or even multiple LLMs we make it so simple. Uh, we hide the complexity and it's going to give people a really unique opportunity to build some some applications that I'm excited to see. Wow, that was fascinating. And MLM, did I get it right? Machine learning models. All right, cool. There you cool. go. And uh, we are going to wrap it up today. It's been an amazing day with an amazing guest and truly uh, Dr. Vega, Dr. Ryan Vega, you are a friend of mine. And I'm glad and proud that I can consider you a friend. Same to you, bud. Appreciate you having me Friends, it's been such a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Feel free to follow us. Just type in Planetary Health First, Mars Next on the internet. Until next time.